0: Well, it's a little different service today. It is our fifth Sunday service, so we're going to have a little more music, uh, a lot more praying, uh, and a lot less sermon. Um, so, I, I, actually, Tony, if you'd stay up here. Um, this is something Tony did not know we were doing. So, um, But today happens to be Worship Leader Appreciation Sunday. <laughs> and so... Um, so, uh, so a few of us got together, and we decided to put together a little gift for Tony uh, in just appreciation of all of the work that he puts in, a lot of it unseen. A lot of you don't know that every Tuesday night, um, with, with rare exceptions, Tony and Ginger and the band are here practicing. They are here every Sunday morning. Uh, at 8 o'clock, uh, practicing, getting ready to lead us in worship. And then through the week, uh, Tony and Ginger and the other folks are working to put together a, um, an order of service that makes sense and that leads all of us into worship. And so we just want to uh, give a little gift to you, a little recognition uh, for all that you guys do for And have done for us for decades with little recognition, but uh, we want to recognize you today in any case. So, thank you, brother. Appreciate you. 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 Okay. Well, uh, we have been in a series here um, looking for the past several weeks, and we'll continue for the next few weeks here, uh, on what it means to be Jesus' disciple. So that we carry out Jesus' mission to make disciples and we help them to grow up to maturity in Christ. Our goal is to not only be disciples, but to make disciples. And if we're going to make disciples, we need to know what one is, right? We need to know what the goal is. If you don't know where you're headed, it's hard to know if you got there, right? And uh, so we want to know, we want to define carefully what the goal is so that you know how to move toward it. And maturity in Christ is the goal. That's the goal. That we all attain to the measure of the stature which belongs to Jesus Christ. That we gain maturity in Christ such that you uh, uh, love Jesus and out of that love for Him, obey Him. That's the goal. And so one of the places that you must, you must love and obey Jesus is with your sexuality. And with your desires, the desires of your heart, the desires of your body, you must master those and submit those to the Lord's sovereignty and rule. Amen and uh, And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter five today. We're going to be uh, verses three through fourteen. Uh, this is a this is a a serious passage with a serious beginning with some stern warnings in the, in, in the middle and it ends in great hope and encouragement. So if you're, if you're discouraged at the beginning, you feel a little beat, beat on at the beginning by the word, that's okay. Hang in there. Hope is coming, okay, <laughs> as we move toward the, the end of this passage, all right? But we want to look at uh, this passage together. Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 3 through uh, 14. Uh, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. But no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, if you look at this section, what you'll see is that these verses follow a a pattern we've become familiar with in chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5, where Paul gives um, some, some sins to reject, some godly behaviors to replace them with, and some reasons why. And if you look at verses 3 and 4, they are really blunt about the sins to reject. The word translated sexual immorality is the word pornea, from which we get our word pornography, right? Right? Pornia is kind of a a theological junk drawer word, if you will. It's It's a very broad word that includes all types of sexual immorality. All classifications. So... Uh, whether we're talking about fornication, whether we're talking about adultery, we're talking about homosexuality, we're talking about pornography, we're talking about lesbianism, we're talking about bestiality, whatever other kind of variety and type and, and kind of you know, going to fluffers or whatever you know, that you want to include in that list, it's on that list. Okay? Every kind of of sexual immorality that exists is included in that word sexual immorality but just in case uh, because the bible approves in fact the bible commands and encourages and upholds and uplifts and is excited about one kind of sexuality right one man one woman covenant relationship before god That kind of relationship, it encourages, upholds, exalts, celebrates, right? Uh, Celebrates it in Proverbs, celebrates it for an entire book in Song of Solomon, uh, celebrates it in Hebrews, celebrates it lots of places. In fact, every place Jesus talks about marriage, he talks about one flesh union, that's not just the idea of soul to soul. It's also body to body. Something that God designed, right? But anything outside of that, anything outside of that realm is sexual immorality and is sin. And, and there's another word. He, he, he uses another word right after that. He says impurity. That's a very similar word. It's like Okay, just in case you might have some things that you thought, well this might be an exception. Well no, let me give you another word that means basically the same thing, but is also a very broad word for any kind of you know sensuality kind of thing that people might be into. If they go, well, you know, I'm not actually I'm not actually immoral, I'm not actually quite sinning. Well, Let me give you another word that basically tells you, yeah, you are. (laughs) Okay? That's the point of that word impurity. Every kind of sexual behavior that isn't confined to a one-flesh marital union is sinful and must be rejected if you are a believer. If you're not a believer, do what you want and come under God's judgment. But if you're a believer in Christ and we walk in purity and holiness in this area. Amen? Now, and then, uh, and then he also goes on in and, and verse 4, to he, he uses uh, three different words, filthiness, foolish talk, crude, joking, that identify various kinds of verbal, if you will, verbal sexual immorality where you know in other words sexual immorality is not just what you do with your body it's also can be defined as things that come out of your mouth right ever work with somebody I have where no matter what you say they make it filthy right what's that reflect that reflects uh, the state of their heart. That reflects, we, we, we say, you have a dirty mind, right? That's a perfectly innocent comment, and you made it dirty. Um, you made it sexual. You made it immoral, right? Um, you know, this is the, I don't know, I mean, surely kids are not very different from what we were like when I was in school, Right? But all of us boys had a list of dirty jokes that we would tell. Right? Um, those things are improper if you're a believer. Double entendres. Innuendos. Crude language. Right? You don't use crass, crude words to talk about something that God made and made good and made beautiful, right? I don't need to give you a list of what all those words are. But there are words that people use to talk about these things that are crass, that are crude, that are nasty, that are degrading to something God made beautiful and good and holy and exalted. Okay? Um... And don't miss what the Word says about these things. Look at the, look at the text. Look at verse three, 3 and 4 here. We reject bodily immorality. And what's he say? He says, as is proper among saints. And we reject verbal forms of immorality too, because what's it say? It's out of place out of place it doesn't fit with who we are as believers and we are called to live up to who we really are who are you really according to the bible you are what's the text say saints the word saint there is derived from the word for holy You are God's holy people. And if that is who you really are, if that is your true identity. We talk a lot in our society today about my identity, right? Who I really am. Well, who I really am is this. Well, if you're a Christian, who you really are is a member of God's holy people. And so your behavior and your heart and your mouth have to reflect that. Amen? Amen? You belong to Christ. Now, two more things to notice in these verses. There's one sin. I don't know if you noticed this as you've read it closely. There's one sin I haven't mentioned yet that Paul mentions. And if you look at it real closely, it's coveting. I had to give that a little thought. Why I get all this discussion about immorality. What about coveting? How is that wrapped in here? And then he also mentions a solution for it to all these sins. And what he says is, it's thanksgiving. You replace immorality, crude joking, filthy language, all the rest of that kind of thing, and coveting with thanksgiving. I had to give that some thought. Why? So question for you. Why is thanksgiving the solution to these sins? Let me give you the answer. It's because the reason that we engage in this stuff is that we believe in our heart of hearts that there is some good thing, something that is going to give me meaning and purpose and value to my life that God is withholding from me. And since He is stingy, and He is not giving me what is good and best for me. I'm going to go get it on my own. In some other way. And so, since, he's, since God is a withholding God, since God is a stingy God, then I'm going to go get mine. Because I'm only getting one trip around the merry-go-round. Right? That's the idea behind all of these sins. And, what, and, and we believe when a, when, some, when, a, when a man or a woman engages in immorality in whatever form, when you're engaged in coveting in whatever form that takes, what you're doing is reflecting what you believe about God. And, and you're saying, you're repeating the lie that Satan told Eve back in the garden, remember? God's not going to give you that fruit because he knows that in the day you eat it, you're going to become like a god. He's withholding some good thing from you, Eve. You've got to go get it. You're repeating that lie to yourself. And so you replace that with thanksgiving. You focus on the blessing that God has given to, to as a way of overcoming the desire for the things that he has not, Right? You know, you can say, you can, you can look at somebody else's car and you can covet their car, right? Well, if only I had, you know, a, a Dodge Hellcat, right? 767 horses or whatever it is, right? Um, goes like a thousand miles an hour with your hair on fire. Pins you to the back when you start. Um, you can covet that or you can say, you know what? God has been so good to me. He has provided me with transportation, and I have never had to walk anywhere I didn't want to. Right? You can say, well, you know, must be nice. You know, be married to Gwyneth Paltrow or whatever. You know, whoever you think is hot stuff. Right? Or you can think to yourself, you know, I have the most wonderful, great spouse me God has given me this wonderful person we have built a, a magnificent life together we have all these children we have grandchildren maybe some of you right look at what God has done in my life and you replace coveting and immoral desires with thankfulness to God for your relationship with him and the blessings he has given and if you look for them, by the way they're abundant they're abundant. And God, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing we've got to understand. It's not that our desires are just simply wrong and we need to stop having them. It's that they're not enough. There is something greater and better and higher to want than what, than simply the satisfaction of our desires. Amen. I don't know if you know this, but the main attraction of heaven is being in the presence of God. And and compared with being in God's presence, everything else pales in comparison. And and so it's like, you know, it's like, um, it's like the the person who is you know who is who is told you know well, look. I can take you up to Six Flags to the water park. And they go, oh, you know, I'm just really happy with my inflatable kiddie pool. I, I just, I just, I mean, it's got grass in it and the water's really cold. But, um, you know, I just really like messing around in the mud and the grass. Because, you know, I'm making a mud hole in the yard. Um, that's really my, my favorite um, and and I, don't, I don't really want to enjoy something better and higher and more fun, right? Uh, but, but this is the reality, that people willingly trade relationship with God for some little mud hole that they have made themselves. And Paul is just reminding us that there is much more to want, and the payoff is much better if we follow the Lord in this life and see Him in the next. Amen? And then there's a stern warning, verse 5 and 6. These are about as stern as you can get. In fact, sterner than this, there, there isn't in the New Testament a sterner warning than this. Everyone, when you start off a sentence that says, you can be sure of this, Let me just say it again. You can be sure of this. You can be sure of this. This is true, in other words. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetous possesses no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The kingdom of Christ is Jesus' rule over His people now. The kingdom of God is God's rule over His people in eternity so in other words, you're not a Christian today, and you will not be in heaven later. That's what he's saying. If you are immoral, if you are covetous, then you are not a Christian today, and you will not be one later either. You will not be in God's presence later. You have no share in the kingdom. Habitual sin always reveals Who you really are. And who you really are is an unbeliever. Okay, And let me tell you how we know. He says, because if you are these things, what does he call you? He says, you're an idolater. You're an idolater. You're someone who already has a God in your life that you are bowing down to and serving. To exalt possessions over Jesus, is to worship those things instead of Him. To exalt the satisfaction of sexual lust over Jesus is to worship that thing instead of Jesus. It's to be an idolater. Is to be cut off from relationship with God. And then he doubles down in verse 6, "...let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things God's wrath is coming on the sons of disobedience." In other words, whatever someone might say about this, these sins are a big, hairy deal. There is no sweeping this under the rug. Amen? We have told people, in fact, there are some, quote, evangelical churches that do tell people that it is okay to be immoral and you can, be, you can walk with Jesus and be immoral at the same time. What does God's Word say? No, you can't. You can't do it. You can't do it. Any more than you can mix rat poison in your water glass and have a good time the rest of the day. Right? You can't do it. The, the presence of the one makes the other toxic. This is a very, very serious thing. God's holiness has not changed. You can go to hell for these things. True. True story. You heard it here first. You can go to hell for these things, and you will if you don't turn from them and put your trust in Jesus. That's the escape. Amen. You repent. You put your trust in Jesus and you walk with God. But if you walk in these ways, you go to hell. That's what the scripture says. That's stern enough for anybody. Amen. Now look at verse 7 to 14. We'll just spend just a few minutes on these. Okay? After all these hard words, this passage ends with some increasing hopefulness. Uh, It's easy to get sucked into the same kinds of sins that we engage in as unbelievers, but we don't have to do that. Our desires can be and are being transformed. Amen? Because we're not talking about somebody who fell into sin. You know, they were a believer and they fell into sin and then they repented and turned, turned away from it, right? That's, that's not what we're talking about, verse 5 and 6. We're talking about somebody who's living in it, wallowing in it, enjoying it, and not repenting, right? But we are talking about a, a progress and a growth away from that stuff and having our desires transformed. We don't have to do that. Verse 7 tells us, don't partner with them. Don't share with disobedient unbelievers in their immorality. That's what the verse is telling us. Um, Just because everybody else is doing it does not constitute a good reason, right? Just as your mother taught you back in the the day, right? My mom used to say, well, if everybody else walked off the roof, would you do it too? Right? (laughs) Um, That's kind of the idea of verse 7. Don't be a partner with people who are engaged in immorality. Don't hang around with and build relationships with and participate in the same things that unbelievers participate in. Simply because someone else does it is not an excuse for you as a believer to do it. Verse 8, positive reason not to live like an unbeliever. Not simply because we fear God's judgment, although we do, and you should. Knowing what it is to fear God, we persuade men to walk in holiness, right? But verse 8 gives us a positive reason, not simply because we fear God's judgment, but because of the positive change, the transformation that has happened to us. At one time, we were, past tense, darkness. But now, we're light in the Lord. Our life has been changed. And if our life has been changed, I don't have to do like I used to do anymore. I get set free from that. I have the ability to walk in holiness before God, and so I'm going to choose that. I am light in the Lord, and you are light in the Lord. And and notice, it's the Lord, it's in the Lord that you have victory. He's the one who makes the decisive difference. We walk in the light. You know, to use an illustration I've used before, you've been transformed from a cockroach into a moth. Right? When the light comes on, what's a cockroach do? Runs for the dark. Right? When the light comes on, what's a moth do? Get as near to it as they can. Right? They fly right up to it. And we have been changed. We move toward the light. Because Jesus has brought transformation uh, and created it in us. And according to verse nine, a life lived in light of the Jesus, uh, in light of the light that Jesus produces in our lives transforms us and, and causes us to embrace and to produce everything that is good and right and true. Everything that is good and right and true, results from that and as you live in the light you live out and uh, and you're able to discern what is good and what is pleasing to the lord so you can do it That's what you do now uh, i'm going to wrap this up real quickly okay because we got a lot of praying and singing yet to do but as you look here at verse 11 and 12 what you see is that living as as children of the light produces the fruit of light, but it also excludes participating in the unfruitful works of darkness. On the one hand, you give off the fruit of light as you walk in obedience with Jesus. On the other hand, you produce the unfruitful works of darkness. What are you going to do? We're going to produce the fruit of light as we live as children of the light. And then verse 13 and 14, what those are about is about the fact that when it talks about how we expose them, as you live as a child of the light, which you are, if you're a believer, then your life causes other people to feel exposed in their sin, right? Because they see they see their sin in light of the way you live. And they go, man, you sure are sure different than you used to be. In my life, I don't like the way it goes. And they feel conviction as a result of the contrast of your life with theirs. And some of those people will come into the light. And they will get transformed. And they will experience the same thing you did. And they will see their sin in the light of God's holiness. And they will be transformed by it too as they put their trust in Jesus. And so we get this... This verse that's, that's really a, a transcription of an early hymn from the early church. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and the light of Christ will shine on you, right? The idea is, is that it's an invitation, that, that, we don't, that, we, that we don't live to honor the Lord simply because we're gritting our teeth and, and hoping not to get judged, right? Right? That's not the idea. The idea is is that your life is transformed to something that becomes attractive to other people so that they then arise from the dead as well. And the light of Christ shines on them like it shines on you. Amen? Where this is not simply a sin to avoid so we don't get whacked. This is also meant to be something where we please God because we love Him. And because that shines the light out into the world, that life doesn't have to be simply about the satisfaction of my lust, amen. And if you look around, if you watch TV, that's what the world—that's the message the world gives us—is that the world is about satisfying lust. It's about—it's about a bigger car, a nicer car, a um, you know, a hotter girlfriend, whatever it is. Okay about satisfying lust. And if you get all your lust satisfied, well, that's the good life. No. The good life is following Jesus and walking with him. Amen. Now, because it's our fifth Sunday service, I've got the prayer of confession today. And if we need to do some confessing, let's do it right now. God, our heavenly father, we do confess to you that Parts of this text make us wildly uncomfortable because they are pointy and they are hard words of sin and judgment at the front half and in the back half we hear the voice of grace saying that if we have turned from sin and toward you that we become children of the light. And we have the ability to live as children of the light and to have the light of Christ shine on us and through us to others. And Father, we want to be those people. Father, if there's anyone here who has a past that they have never repented of, one that weighs them down with a burden of sin and all of the accumulated consequences, Father, I pray today would be the day they come to you and are changed from a critter of the dark into a new creation, a being of the light. And that they would walk in light of the transformation that you bring through Jesus Christ. Father, we bring our sins to you. We lay them at your feet and we ask for your, your healing and covering over them with the blood of Christ and cleansing us from them. You tell us in your word that if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse also from all unrighteousness. So Father, as your Holy Spirit is speaking to your people, I pray that they would not only notice their sin, but notice the amazing grace that you bestow on us if we will but come to you and, and confess that we can be cleansed and healed and made new. And Father, I pray that we might worship you in the rest of this service and the rest of this week as freed people, people who have been set free from sin to serve you and to love you and to be loved by you. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.